Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. decided to take the entire amount that goes into the basket today and divide it in three ways. It will be split between the two food banks, the Lethbridge Food Bank and Interfaith, and the soup kitchen. So anything you put in the basket is going to be contributed towards that three-way division. So this doesn't go to any expenses for your meal today or the coffers of sackcloth. It's going to go to those three institutions that provide such... Um, good service to people in the community. We have a number of partners in Sackcloth. Uh, the University of Lethbridge handles our distribution. Uh, Shaw does the recording of our program, and incidentally, this program will be recorded today. Uh, CKXU Radio has already, I think, done an interview. No one has to Somebody else did an interview. But anyway, and so the Lethbridge Herald. Um, these, in their own way, are our partners to Sackcloth and um, help to... Uh, Maintain that, as well as country kitchen that provides the meat. Uh, you know what our routine is. We have about 25 or 30 minutes in which we uh, hear from our speakers, and then we eat, and then uh, around 1 o'clock we'll have a chance for you to ask your questions uh, to the people who are our guest speakers today. Now, these two folks, Kelsey Jansen, uh, after doing a uh, period of uh, volunteer work in Bolivia, came back and joined the Interstate Food Bank uh, team and has been a volunteer coordinator and administrative assistant there. And um, she, in the information provided, she says she's really happy to be able to do that. It's really quite a switch for her. And John uh, Usher, Dr. Um, Usher, is president of the University of Lethbridge Faculty Association. And apart from his um, life as a teacher and a researcher, I'm sure if you get to that you have to do some kind of research, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether it's food banks. Anyway, he's a member of the board of directors of the Lethbridge Food Bank. We welcome both of these people, and they're going to speak on a very important subject right now, the need for the food banks, the trends that are involved, and some of the issues that are there. So welcome them both. We'll hear you now. Thank you for that kind welcome, and thank you for the donation. It's uh, excellent. It's certainly the, uh, the season uh, that we, we count on to get us through the rest of the year. Uh, Kelsey and I have sort of talked a bit about uh, how we want to handle this presentation, and so I'm going to start off with sort of some kind of big picture stuff around stats, and, and, uh, and then Kelsey is going to come in and then hand it back over to me, and we'll sort of do a bit of a tag team match as we go forward. So our topic is banks, why are they needed in our affluent society? And this is something which uh, which we struggle with ourselves um, because we uh, on the one hand feel that it's very much um, needed something that we do, but on the other hand 
we would just love if our clients didn't come back. Uh, and so it, uh, we'd like to we'd like to cure the problem, not just to continue to, to put a Band-Aid on it. A couple little? Yeah. All right, yeah. I have a switch on my back that works too. But. All right. Um, Let's just look at the at some of the stats then, and so you can see that uh, Canada, Alberta, and then we've got some uh, history on Lethbridge. The uh, the stats. I guess some of the things that we want to point out in particular um, are locally what our trends have been. So if you notice that the percentage of children, um, and these are these are basically the combination of uh, the Lethbridge Food Bank and the Interfaith Food Bank in terms of the numbers. Uh, there are several other smaller food banks in town, but uh, this is sort of the we're the we're the heavy lifters where this is concerned. So you can see that um, back in um, well, 2008 was not a not a good year uh, for the economy in general, and so there was quite a quite a hit taken, and um, we sort of stepped into that. Since that time, things have been kind of improving. Um, but what, are, what is interesting is that the percentage of children has never really changed that much. So families are families. Um, and I guess it says something that uh, um, it's not really that much of a, a distinction uh, whether you have kids or not, whether you can get into this kind of trouble, although it does make things a little harder. What we are concerned about, though, is that we see uh, an increasing uh, participation of both the Aboriginal population and seniors at the food bank. So these are two pretty vulnerable groups, and they're increasingly having to turn to food banks uh, in terms of getting their requirements. So um, we can we can go back to this if people have questions at the end, but I'm going to kind of move on and with the presentation. Um, this is what I ask students not to do, is to put up a little font like this that makes people crazy. Uh, but it, uh, it basically is a way of, uh, this is a, um, uh, one thing that, that's very important for food banks to kind of keep in front of their minds is that we, we are very much concerned with advocacy around uh, reducing poverty. And so uh, there is a, an umbrella group that you may know of um, called Vibrant Lethbridge, which is sort of a, an anti-poverty coalition of, of agencies throughout Lethbridge. And uh, we've recently done um, a number of food, uh, focus groups around high-risk groups. And so this was a way of, of, uh, that I kind of put together to, to say, well, here's, a, here's kind of a, if you look kind of at the middle, middle column, uh, if you're in the middle column, you're probably not in, not in too bad shape, but if you go either to the right or to the left, you can kind of fall off that, uh, that peak that people are on. Um, so a way of, of thinking about all of the reasons that people end up at food banks. And as you can see, there's quite a few. So these are kind of the high-risk categories. Um, it is getting better. Whoa. <laughs> I don't really want you to read this. I just want to, to show you that we keep track of stuff at the food bank, right? We uh, we do um, keep a lot of a lot of stats. Um, 
maybe what I'll do, do you want to, to jump in at this point? Um, should I leave this one up? The other one will just make people crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not going to be quite as tech-savvy as him today. I'm just going to have you listen to me instead of showing you stuff up there. <clears throat> so, food bank. These two words joined together are foreign in most other cultures. It's a concept constrained mostly to North America, a continent known for affluence. And so today we're asking, why in our affluent society do we even need them? One answer seems to lie with culture. Today's mainstream culture tells us that we are entitled to an adequate standard of living, which includes multiple new vehicles, a brand new house, designer clothing, and the best of everything. It puts pressure on each one of us to compete with our neighbors, living at the very edge, or even beyond our means, in order to have the things that make life worthwhile. We often feel that our value is reflected in these things that we have. So, we do everything in our power to provide all these so-called necessities for ourselves and our families. This compulsion has contributed to the trend of living paycheck to paycheck, a phenomenon seen across all pay scales, from corner store employees to high-paid doctors. Just imagine that you are one of these people, spending what you make every single month, dependent on that paycheck to make your next month's bills. Then, if for some reason you don't have a paycheck, or you are shorted on your paycheck, that could make the difference between going on your next vacation and lining up at the food bank. At Interfaith Food Bank and at the Lethbridge Food Bank, we serve those from various situations. Um, under or unemployment, single parenthood, seniors on a fixed income, newcomers to Canada, and those facing other social and economic barriers. Each prospective client undergoes a screening process to ensure their eligibility for our services. And the system is based mainly upon predetermined income levels that vary with household size. Of course, every case is different, and there are at times special circumstances. Each month, um, each food bank serves five to 600 households, which are comprised of 1,500 to 1,800 individuals almost half of whom are children, like John said. Some of our clients are simply in need of a one-time service. Maybe they were laid off or, as we said before, shorted hours at work. 24% of our clients are employed, and yet they still struggle to provide adequate food for their household. Others, like seniors on old age pension, or individuals with disabilities, which render them unable to work, continue to rely on us year after year. And this last group makes up about 50% of our clientele. Now, you might be thinking, okay, so people need help, but why do we need to do it with a food bank? Well, that also can have a little bit to do with culture. Once upon a time, it was the families that stu uh, stood up and took care of each other in times of need. And I don't say that that doesn't happen anymore because it still does happen um, it seems to happen less because of continually changing family dynamics that we see. Um, there's more of an emphasis on independence and self-sufficiency, which has at times led people to go out on their own, even if they're not in a financially stable um, time of life. 
which can bring them to us as well. So instead of looking to relatives for help, often we look for social programming like employment insurance, age, and social assistance during those hard times. Unfortunately, there are limits to this government funding and the support programs, and it costs money to run them. So this is where food banks came in in Lethbridge. In the 1980s, community members and parishioners at a local Catholic church were prompted to begin helping out their neighbors by stockpiling food, which they shared with those in need. That's the birth of Lethbridge Food Bank and Interfaith Food Bank. The idea caught on and continues to grow to this day. Interfaith Food Bank now owns a building, which has room to store much more food and also space that has allowed us to expand our programs, all of which was made possible through support from the community. There is the old saying, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, teach a man to fish, and he'll have food for the rest of his life. This is a motto that uh, we at Interfaith Food Bank, I can only really speak um, on behalf of us, uh, really live by and which has really inspired us to move beyond simply handing out food to providing opportunities for skill building and referrals to other agencies that can help address all those underlying causes that really bring people to the food bank in the first place. Uh, by providing our monthly food hampers and daily food supplements, we hope to be freeing up our client families to focus more energy on working towards stability. This might mean finding more affordable housing, finding a job or a better job, pursuing further education, or working on emotional issues and family relationships. All things that can improve our quality of life and bring security and independence. Many of our client families have expressed an interest in learning more about cooking and about growing food. Two things that can lead to a more nutritious diet and greater savings on grocery bills. Um, as before, when the community stepped up when faced with a need, Interfaith Food Bank and its many supporters responded. This is very clearly evidenced in the implementation of the Interfaith Chinook Country Kitchen, which is a partnership with Family Center that offers free cooking classes to community members where they learn how to cook nutritious meals on a limited budget. The kitchen also offers monthly programming for toddlers and caregivers called Big Chef, Little Chef, as well as a program for 10 to 13 year olds during the summer months. This last year, we also received grant funding to establish a learning garden, which will encourage education on how to grow your own food and provide uh, produce for our cooking classes. We also have plans uh, for a more integrative program that schools can participate in which will teach students about plants and how to grow and use them. It has been the experience of Interfaith Food Bank that when needs arise, the citizens of Lethbridge step up. We have seen this countless times and continue to see it every day. We saw it when we launched our Planting Roots Growing Community campaign, which allowed our relocation and expansion. We see it in the 50 volunteers who give their time each and every week to make sure that we meet our day-to-day -day production goals and are able to fully staff our programs and services. In 2012, 11,501 hours were contributed by warehouse and special event volunteers, which is amazing. We see it in the many individuals who give donations of food and funds. Each month, each food bank sends out about 60,000 pounds of food, so that's a lot coming in and a lot going out. 
We also see it in the enthusiastic responses to our cries for this item or that. We see it in many local businesses that choose to support the food bank through employee volunteer days and taking collections um, in their offices or at their events. And we've seen it this entire Christmas season as people continue to call, offering what they could to help those in need during this season of giving. Our history suggests that it is the local invested community members who truly have made the difference. When people have a passion for something, they work hard for it. And the fact that nearly 2,000 Lethbridge families are in a position where they need help to make this Christmas special, not to mention keep sufficient healthy food in their fridges, resonates much more with a neighbor than with someone reading a statistic in a report. When it becomes a part of our world, we can care more about doing something about it. So why in this affluent society do we need food banks? Maybe we need them because they advocate on behalf of those voices that are too quiet to be heard or are reluctant to speak out. Maybe we need them because they remind us that there's more to life than our own personal comfort, um, that our first world problems, as people like to call them these days, aren't always as problematic as we think. And maybe we need them because they prompt us to practice the joy of giving to others. Um, so one of the reasons why um, this uh, topic is, is very much top of mind uh, at the Lethbridge Food Bank is that we're doing a bit of navel gazing right now about um, our mission going forward. And so we've looked at a number of possibilities uh, and we're very much inspired by what has been going on at the Interfaith Food Bank. And so um, that's so what I would like to talk to you about is uh, what is going on around the world in terms of people thinking about food banks? Are they good? Are they a problem? Uh, and how this works? And so one, uh, once we start to look at other models of food banks, so we, we have kind of a, a food bank 2.0, and this is the slide that you've been looking at. So this is uh, Clark County in, in uh, Washington. And it sort of chronicles the, you know, started out as a fairly small kind of food bank and then said, whoa, let's get some money, let's really put something behind this and let's really go to town. And so it's a, you know, a kind of a more is better approach to, uh, to being a better food bank. Um, the uh, staffing is, is fairly substantial. Uh, there are linkages to, um, to local farms. There are um, people that work with respect to nutrition education, farming, meeting, uh, community outreach. So a lot of the directions that, that Interfaith has gone in are, are part of this new kind of way of thinking about food banks, that it's not simply a place where you, you come in and grab some food. Um, lots of partnerships, and um, some of these are linked to programs in the United States, also linked to the university and to community volunteers. Um, but there is a dark side to food banks, which is out there as well. And so uh, Nick Saul is a, an anti-poverty activist and someone who's very much energized a whole new view of what food banks can be. And uh, this is from an article in, in The Guardian um, that uh, Leona passed along. And it, uh, it speaks to the possibilities that food banks are, um, there is 
kind of a dark side to them. And so, uh, quote from him, the only person charity food is not benefiting is the person who this was set up to help. Uh, it's it's a, kind of a strange way of thinking about food banks, but if you think about food banks as sort of an ecosystem, there are the, the clients, and we're obviously focused on them, but then there are the volunteers, and so it's a great place to be a volunteer. It's uh, If you have some uh, money that you'd like to donate, it's a great feel-good place to donate money. Uh, if you're a major food corporation with a bunch of food that, uh, gee, if you put it out on the shelf, it might drive prices down, you could give it to the food bank and it wouldn't happen. Uh, there are, you know, there are all kinds of loops and feedbacks in the system that keep the system moving forward. And so it's not simply about uh, a need that clients are expressing, obviously that's part of it, but it's all interwoven with a lot of other pieces. There are concerns, uh, obviously our food banks are not like this, but um, <laughs> some of them might be inefficient, unreliable, and unable to supply nutritional food. And there, uh, sometimes people have good intentions, and those good intentions don't necessarily translate into the, the most effective way to get the job done. Um, and there is the problem around uh, stigma with respect to food banks, particularly the, the kind where it's um, you sort of line up and get your food and you, and you head out the door again. I guess the biggest concern is that, is this simply, from a political standpoint, a way for the government to say, well, it speaks for people who are being looked after. The food banks have got that covered. Uh, and so, in uh, depending on the, the political inclination of the jurisdiction, this is seen as a, uh, well, maybe it's not the best way in which to think about a social safety net. Maybe there is a greater responsibility for government involved in this. Uh, this is one of the reasons why Nick Saul was in the UK, is because the UK, uh, surprisingly for Europe, are actually behind North America in something. Uh, and they are only now sort of thinking about having food banks. Food banks are starting to grow as, as a result of the latest um, the financial woes over there, whereas here it was more 40 years ago. And so it's... Um, it's, it's, I guess, a cry about where does, where does that responsibility lie? If, well, if food banks continue to just kind of take up that slack, as they have done here, and, and it's a great thing, but, you know, is it always the best way to approach them? So it, it, uh, it becomes a bit of an ideological piece. Is there some kind of middle ground? Uh, I mentioned that Nick Saul was the, uh, the guy who kind of got this thing called Community Food Centers Canada underway, uh, and it's, um, so their slogan is, good food is just the beginning. And you'll see a lot of uh, what goes on at the community food centers reflected in the interfaith model. And it's one that, uh, that we're seriously considering as a, as a way to move forward with the Lethbridge Food Bank. So three core missions, emergency food, which is the, the food bank itself, but also the food skills and nutrition piece. And Finally, a piece that's mostly about advocacy, food justice, uh, systematic change. It's, uh, it's a bigger way of thinking about, again, poverty issues, not just exclusively around food. Okay, so not just a grab the food and run kind of place. Uh, stay and talk to other people about life and mutual concerns. So one of the things that the uh, uh, the community food centers attempt to do is to get people that are in need to sit together 
and maybe uh, have a talk, have a, an opportunity to eat some nutritious food, maybe ask a question about how you cook that nutritious food, but also say, you know, I'm having trouble getting something done. Is there some agency in town that would help me to do that? And so there's a kind of a collaborative learning piece which, which takes place. Okay, and also the whole piece around food itself. So this is the, the learning garden that the Interfaith has, uh, the whole community uh, gardens movement to try to grow food, uh, eating locally, uh, food security itself. And bringing that piece in makes this more than just about people that are poor, because this is good for everybody. Right? We all need food security. We all need nutritious food. We all need to think more about the kinds of food that we eat that um, shows up from Florida at some who knows cost of what, so that we can eat it during the winter. Uh, in, in Lethbridge and area, there's a group now called Chinook Food Connect, and they are very much trying to confront these particular issues and, and work with people to, to make them happen. So we have recommendations for at several levels uh, for individuals. Um, lend a hand individually if you know people that are, that are uh, in need. Uh, contribute time and resources, so that it's a volunteer piece. And the, also, the other one is to talk about this stuff, because it, it is in some ways um, not a comfortable subject in some respects, And uh, but let's let's make it more visible. Let's talk about it. Particularly with the government. Um, businesses, probably the one at the bottom is the one that, that really gets it for me, is, the, is offering a living wage. Now in, in Lethbridge, we're kind of a community of franchise restaurants, and they're all, that stuff is controlled somewhere else. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of people that, uh, there's some assumption, I guess, that if you work at one of these places, that they don't have to pay you benefits, because it's sort of a, uh, I've heard it called a, a job with training wheels. I don't know where that started. Well, shouldn't a job be a job? Shouldn't it, get, shouldn't it pay you enough money so that you can have a family, so you can own a home? Maybe not. You know, the drive through at McDonald's, but somewhere out there, there, there needs to be a, a bigger sense of, of what a real job is. And as far as the last slide, the uh, recommendations to government, so hunger count is uh, uh, part of the, uh, we have various levels of um, national and, and provincial and local uh, food bank associations, and this is coming out of the, the federal folks. So increase affordable housing, housing so Canadians don't need to choose between paying the rent and feeding their children. Change provincial social assistance so that they provide dignified support, help people get back on their feet, and work to increase the number of well-paying jobs right now. Too many jobs are part-time, temporary, and don't pay enough. So these are very much connected to, let's, let's stop people having to come to food. Let's not make food banks more efficient and better and everything. Let's, let's kind of work at it from the other end. So, thank you. Uh, we'll have our lunch now, and then after that, uh, you're invited to raise your questions with these two people. So, enjoy yourself.